0: Hello, I'm Sam Castor, and I'm here with my awesome co-host, Linda Cherry, and we're discussing the Come Follow Me lesson for the Old Testament, chapters 13 through 14 of Isaiah, as well as 24 through 30 and 35. It's a lot we're covering today, and there's so many beautiful nuggets and treasures in this set of scripture, in Isaiah's poetry and hymns. The themes that percolate up as you read these and let them dwell upon your heart and your mind, I believe really point us all to the second coming or the return of Christ, and so... I'm going to title this The Themes of Christ's Return, The Terrible and the Great. And Linda is awesome and has agreed to join me. And she knows so much about this stuff. And we were just talking as we got ready to do this podcast about how difficult it is to get everything covered. It's just impossible. There's just so many nuggets here.
1: It really is impossible. It's such a challenge. I literally almost cry when I see how many weeks we have devoted to Isaiah. I was just sharing with Sam earlier that I spent four years on Isaiah in an adult ed class that I teach. But here's the beautiful thing about Isaiah. Every time you read it, there is something new. There's a new application. And that's the beauty of this prophet that uh, prophesies with such rich symbolism and all different time periods so that every time there's going to be something. So while we might apologize today, we can't possibly cover everything. I know that there's going to be some beautiful pearls that stick out to to our listeners and to ourselves as we go along.
0: Amen to that. I agree 100%. So <clears throat> I'm going to break this out into two themes today, and it will hopefully cover through broad strokes several things that we can talk about. So the first one is the signs of the second coming. There are a lot of signs in these chapters. There's a lot of prophetic call to people to wake up and see these signs and be ready for the day when the great and terrible day when the Lord will come. And it's that phrase is beautiful because to me because great means majestic, glorious, powerful, and terrible means it's spirit-based or it's something that creates fear in the hearts of people who are wicked and aren't ready for it. And so great for the good and terrible for the bad. It's kind of this idea or this theme that Isaiah has. And so we'll talk about the signs of the second coming, Zion versus Babylon, Christ piercing the Leviathan, which is a theme that happens in Isaiah 27. We'll talk about how cities decay, but Zion and families are meant to thrive. And that's the purpose of God's family and why he's trying to make us wake up to how he has ordered the eternities. And then we'll get into the second theme of reconciling dichotomies. We'll talk about personal restoration, aligning our lips and our hearts, how the Lord instructs us and lifts us and edifies us line upon line, precept upon precept, until one day he will wipe away all our tears and help us rest and find fatness and joy in Zion. And so as we dive through this, there are several scriptures we're going to try and read because Isaiah's words even though they've been translated several times into English they still carry so much art they still carry so much resonance Christ himself when speaking to the Nephites when he visited them in the book of Mormon said great are the words of Isaiah search these things diligently he was encouraging the people back then and us to understand Isaiah and Joseph Smith gets into this in his teachings He said, Search the revelations of God, study the prophecies, and rejoice that God grants unto the world seers and prophets. They are they who saw the mysteries of godliness. They saw the flood before it came. They saw angels descending upon uh, they saw angels ascending and descending upon a ladder. They reached from earth to heaven. They saw the stone cut out of the mountain, which filled the whole earth. They saw the Son of God come from the regions of bliss and dwell with men on earth. They saw the deliverer come out of Zion and turn away ungodliness from Jacob, they saw the glory of the Lord when he showed the transfiguration of the earth on the mount. They saw every mountain laid low, and every valley exalted. When the Lord was taking vengeance upon the wicked, they saw truth spring out of the earth, and righteousness looked down from heaven in the last days before the Lord came to the second time to gather his elect. They saw the end of the wickedness on earth, and the Sabbath of creation crowned with peace. They saw the end of the glorious thousand years, years when satan was loosed for a little season they saw the day of judgment when all men received according to their works and they saw the heaven and the earth flee away to make room for the city of god when the righteous receive an inheritance in eternity and fellow sojourners upon earth it is your privilege to purify yourselves and come up to the same glory and see for yourselves and know yourselves that last phrase i want to read it one more time because this is the invitation As we study Isaiah and and open our hearts and our minds up to receiving the power of these words and these truths and these principles, the practicality is it invites us, it invites our spirits to become seers and revelators, kings and queens, priests and priestesses, this whole idea of us opening ourselves up to receive what the Lord wants to give us. And this is that phrase again. Joseph Smith says, again and fellow surgeons upon earth, it is your privilege to purify yourselves and come up to the same glory and see for yourselves and know yourselves, seeing what they saw and knowing who we really are. I love this idea.
1: Well, I think this is so important for us to understand that Isaiah, as Joseph Smith, saw the big picture and all the details. Within that big picture, one of my favorite verses from Isaiah is actually from chapter forty about this It's um chapter forty verse twenty one Have ye not known? have ye not heard? Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? The Lord is telling us in advance through Isaiah and through the prophets everything that's going to transpire now, Sam, what do you think is the reason the Lord wants us to know in advance what's going to happen and then describes these great and terrible things about the second coming? What do you think he wants us to know by telling us in advance?
0: What a great question. I I love that idea. I think that there's so much power and peace that comes from knowing what's coming. There there are beautiful verses in these chapters where the Lord reminds his faithful to be patient, to hide themselves in him, to trust in his shelter and trust in his, his castles, his cities, and this idea of taking refuge in his temple, in his holy place. And so I think that what the Lord is trying to do is he's trying to help us see that there is a scourging, there is difficulty, there is darkness and, and war and commotion that's coming. And if we take shelter in him, we'll we'll see him in it. We'll see that he's the one that's calling people to him through it. And when we have peace, it allows us to gather other people to our places of peace. That allows us to help other people find shelter and have peace become our hallmark of who we are, and and it's it's fruit of who of our real connection with Jesus Christ, I believe. And so I think it's it's actually part of Him calling His mighty ones, like it says in in, in chapter thirteen. Let's read that one. I, I think that's a beautiful. Set of scriptures too. Do you have that right there?
1: I do. I it's chapter thirteen, starting with. We'll start with chapter our verse two. Since you're talking about calling the mighty ones, and this is the Lord calling together His army of um, saints in order to fight against Babylon. So I see this as sort of a continuation of the war in heaven. It says, "Lift up a banner upon the high mountain." We think about the banner being the ensign to the nation which used to be a a catchphrase for us as members of the church, that ensign on the top of the high mountain, so often referred to as the temple. Exalt Mm -hmm. the voice unto them, shake the hand. In other words, wave and say, come here, come join us, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts mustered the host of the battle. They come from a far country from the end of heaven, even the Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Now, I love um, I'm super dependent on all the great um, scholars and authors that have preceded me. And, and I absolutely love the books by the Perry brothers on Isaiah and also Um, Victor Ludlow. They make the, uh, they uh, teach us that What's happening here is this is like a general conference. This noise in the mountains calling the sanctified ones, come here, come here. Let's raise the banner. Uh, we're also near the temple. Let's gather the forces of God. When we remember what the forces of God, how do they fight? What we taught in what we were taught in the pre mortal life war is that they fought by the power of their testimony. It wasn't with swords and bloodshed. And so. I know that's right up your alley, Sam. What, do you, how would, what would you add to that?
0: You know, it's funny. I, I studied um, communications and uh, public relations at BYU as my undergrad. And the reason I did was because of this idea of prevailing with your testimony, prevailing with the word. Because war and, and uh, you know, commotion, conflict up in heaven wouldn't have been machine guns and swords and chariots right <laughs> it would have been more about the ideologies and the principalities and the 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 light and the truth the power of the word and prevailing because of our testimony of Jesus Christ i believe is the way we win and when we overcome all the darkness that's going to happen again and so you know destroying the dragon or the leviathan as it's talked about um, later on overcoming the evil of of satan and his his forces it it only can happen by, by words, by truths. It doesn't happen because someone exercises muscle. It happens because someone exercises faith. And so as we <clears throat> read these words, I think these verses, these powerful verses almost become quivers to us. You know, these, these scriptures hold these arrows of truth, these arrows of light. And I always like to tell my seminary kids, when you're battling darkness, what you really need is light. How, the way you chase darkness from you is you introduce this light, this power of truth, and it's a, it's like pulling out an arrow of light and saying, "Get back, <laughs> keep the darkness away." And so, as we get ready for these times, these these times of darkness, and in fact, if you read the verses right after the ones you just read in Isaiah 13, Linda, where it says, "Howl ye for the day of the Lord is at hand." Now, howling is not a, a word that suggests joy. This is this is the people that are on the destruction side. This is the people that don't know how to find peace in Christ and it shall come as a destruction from the almighty. Therefore shall all the hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt. That's verse seven in, in chapter 13. And they shall be afraid. Pings and sorrows shall take a hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that traveleth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. That's, it, that's terrifying, right? <laughs> I mean, imagining someone's face being as a flame, and then in verse 9, behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So here's my question to you. How do you, how do you reconcile this tension between this merciful and loving and just God with the destruction of the wicked, the removal of the sinners out of the earth? How does that work?
1: That's such a great question. I want to point out that a lot of people over the years have been very critical of the Jewish people saying, how could they have missed Jesus as their Messiah? But the truth is, is there's probably no more beloved prophet than Isaiah amongst the Jews. And truthfully, Isaiah describes the Messiah with this second coming um, describes him as fierce and covered in blood of his enemies, and trampling out the wicked. And Isaiah also, as in Isaiah 53 and in Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 49, uh, mm-hmm. describes uh, the Messiah as being very compassionate, as carrying the the sorrows of his people, of being of uh, performing an atonement, or being pressed down with the sins. of this people and so truth is is that isaiah kind of offers us whatever we're looking for in in the Mm -hmm. messiah and so instead that the jewish people that because they were being conquered by rome and under that uh, roman rule they wanted the one that's being described in in the second coming and the fact that uh the savior is described as both a lamb and a lion we Mm -hmm. see both we see both in the Isaiah prophecies. And the question is, is will we as Christians be willing to accept him as the lion? I was just in a uh stake conference last week, uh, out of state. I'm not going to name what state, what uh state I was in, but the um but the stake president said from the pulpit, Jesus never judged anyone. Now I understand. certainly the principle that Jesus told us not to make unrighteous judgments. And Jesus has told us to have open arms to all. But the truth is, is if we can't accept and acknowledge the fact that Jesus, Jesus is judging people, in fact, right here in these Isaiah verses, he is judging and calling people wicked who are going to receive certain chastisement, then we're going to be like the Jewish people who couldn't accept the Messiah for what he was when he came the first time, then we, then we will be like that if we can't accept that he is judging and he is saying the wicked are going to get a compensation here. He's using Babylon as a type. I always think it's really interesting that Babylon is used as the type of this wicked worldly nation because Babylon really wasn't in existence for very long. When Nebuchadnezzar has his dream and he's worried about who's going to follow him there was a good reason for him to be concerned. The kingdom of Babylon was only in power for 150 years. And then through Isaiah, the Lord prophesies. And by the way, Isaiah is prophesying before Babylon is that great kingdom. That makes mm-hmm. it even more powerful. Isaiah prophesies that Babylon will never be built again. So it's a, it's a symbol for the world. And the Lord is being very clear here that he's not going to tolerate that kind of wickedness when he comes again he is he is absolutely going to clean it out and when we talk about their faces melting it's in fear it's just this imagine when you can see a person's face to sort of what we call their faces falling apart yeah. you know because they're so full of fear over what he's like when he is coming the second
0: time totally absolutely and in fact if you look at isaiah 14 it talks about the, the fall of babylon And and this idea of Babylon being the world or it being similar to the Tower of Babel or similar to all these kingdoms that have tried to to prop up the love of self more than the love of neighbor and more than the love of God. And that that type of selfishness is vile. It's evil. It's corrosive. It's cancer. It's destructive. it It needs to be purged. And all of us are human. We all struggle with moments of selfishness. We all have moments where we feel... Um, more inclined to succumb to the natural tendencies that we have, our appetites or our, our passions and things. But when when people perpetuate that, when they stay in that darkness, when they stay in that self-destructive, self-serving nature, they become consuming and they destroy and objectify people around them. And that type of objectification is the most vile of all. When, when Babylon or the giants have been swept off the earth, the Sodom and Gomorrah, Type people, or the people during Noah's time, in, in, insane wickedness. Those people were so self-absorbed and so in their own darkness, they destroyed children. Mm-hmm. They, they and it, it talks about in these, that in these, these verses when it refers to Babylon or Assyria dashing the, the child and not caring for a, a woman that has a, a, a you know a, that, that has a baby in her womb. That type of destruction, that type of, of evil, is something that should be destroyed. And it, right. in America, we're, 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 we've become a little sensitive. We don't want to say, Hey, that's wrong because we're afraid of offending someone, but people who are, are pedophiles, people who destroy children deserve to go to hell. <laughs> now, does God make that decision? Absolutely. I see the judge. Absolutely. And if somebody were to do something to one of my children, you know, I would do something about it. You know, like that that enmity is there for a reason. We're not supposed to invite darkness into our homes. We're supposed to chase it from us and keep that evil out.
1: The book of Revelation talks about how Babylon falls in one day's time. Hmm. And it lists, it says that all the kings, you know, were committing uh, adultery with her. uh, That in uh, the book of Revelation, Babylon's referred to as the whore of Babylon, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. I know you're going to talk about Leviathan in a few minutes I think we can make that same connection to this scarlet beast this figurative scarlet beast but it says she's drinking out of a goblet and I want us to think about how that is the counterfeit to the drinking out of the sacrament cup Mm -hmm. out of the cup that the lord offers to us he offers us this pure cleansing healing water of the sacrament that represents his blood now she's actually drinking out of a golden goblet that represents the blood of the saints Mm -hmm. and it says that you know she's made war on the saints speaking of babylon and um also it says it lists all the things that she's bought and sold with the kings of the earth and at the very end it says and the souls of men that she's been Mm -hmm. buying and selling the souls of men Mm -hmm. i think we very much live in that time today where um where we are, we seem to be easily purchased by Babylon. You mentioned earlier that we make war or we fight with the word of our testimony. And I would say that today we're living in a time of a great war of words and rhetoric that even when you talk about as listed in Isaiah, the harm that's done to children, I live in a neighborhood where several of the flags uh, flying on my neighborhood porches where you would typically have had an American flag or the flag of your country flying, there are flags that say hands off my body and it's showing a woman's reproductive system. I was thinking that in order to actually make that more accurate um, and keep their same slogan is that what they're asking for, they're, they're upset about the Roe versus Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court. Where, of course, they still have that right. Certainly in my state, Washington state, they still have that that right. That was just moved down to states to make that decision. But in order to make that flag more accurate, they ought to have the, the baby in with the reproductive. Sh- it shows the woman's womb and ovaries and such with this hands off my b- body. And I was thinking, well, to make this really accurate, they need to have that baby in there mm-hmm. with a knife coming towards it with the sign hands off my body but we do live in a time when we are sacrificing children in many ways certainly far more than just uh through abortion but mm. but the lack of teaching children about who they are and who they are in god's plan we are sacrificing children for the sake of self-indulgence uh today i know it's a painful topic but but very true
0: it's so it's so true in fact you know as an aside and i think we all have little battles like these that we can fight things that we can do to help usher in the second coming to prepare the way of the Lord to make straight his paths. Um, Here in uh, Las Vegas, my wife and I are working on uh, an initiative, a statutory initiative. It's already been filed and it's making progress. We're raising uh, money to go pass this law to allow the school district here in Las Vegas. It's the fifth largest in the nation and it has the highest suicide rate it was in the well, uh, New York Times just a few months ago about how terrible the suicide rate is here. It has one of the highest child trafficking and child prostitution rates. There's so much evil and darkness here. And it, the, the one school district is 8,000 square miles. <laughs> it's Clark, the entire county of Clark County. And when you look at what's happening, where we're treating people like objects, that creates a level of dissonance. It creates a, a, a level of darkness. And so in one month here in Las Vegas, We had a teacher um, who was raped. The next week, we had a student who walked across the street and murdered someone across the street and then came back to school, stabbed this person a number of times. Then we had another teacher the following week who was having sex and doing drugs with a student in the classroom. And then we had a bunch of school bus drivers just last week that were beat up and the kids took over the school bus. This kind of war that's, that's percolating up, this happens when people... Feel like it's okay to treat other people like objects. It's when it's, it violates the divinity inside us, and it, this oppression and this this destruction. And it, Isaiah refers to it as a continual stroke. There's this continual beating of this drum of, of, against the the backs of the righteous. Like, hey, no, you don't have the ability to do what's right. You don't have the ability to protect the innocent. You don't have the ability to be good. We have we as as followers of Christ have the ability to stand up and say, no. We we may not have the power, but He does. And he will overcome it. And one day, <clears throat> it talks about this in Isaiah 14, when, when, he, when he cast down Babylon, one day the Lord will, it's, as it says in verse 5, the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers, these wicked rulers who are trying to keep darkness and objectification going. The whole earth is finally at rest, this is verse 7, and is quiet, and they break forth into singing And then in verse eight, and the fir trees rejoice at thee. The trees rejoice. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming, referring to Satan and the wicked. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It it hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. For I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and remnant and son and nephew, saith the Lord. And that last verse is so powerful because the Lord is saying, I'm going to stop this. The remnant are the people that are left over from the prior generation, the the people that are supposed to continue in this verse. And he's saying, I'm going to destroy the remnant. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to cut off the son. I'm going to cut off the nephew. There will no longer be any seed that is continuing, that is being taught false traditions that's perpetuating these these traditions of darkness and molestation and evil and that's how he's going to usher in zion
1: well it's also the opposite of the covenant blessing yes those who are holding on to their covenants were promised that even with death of loved ones we will be together again that there will be eternal families and eternal seed so those who have their eye only on the worldly babylon when it's over it's over they They won't have that, and they are cut off without root and branch, as Isaiah says in other chapters
0: absolutely and so there's there's this there's this dichotomy, and I want to use that word because I know it's sometimes a word that people use regularly, but this idea of a, of a dichotomy where there's this extreme contrast, these opposites that somehow are polar opposites of each other but still are connected somehow. And there's something beautiful about how Christ comes and he reconciles that, these dichotomies. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But the dichotomy between B- Babylon and Zion is just apparent throughout all these, these chapters. And so the words used to describe Babylon, on the one hand, um, are just a, a motive of how awful and desolate and empty it is. And that's here's some just some of these words that Isaiah uses. He refers to Babylon as empty, ceased, darkened, cursed, weeping, afflicted. Thirsty, desert, drought, famine, hunger, dust, scourge, loneliness, asleep, blind, hell, death, pained, flamed, sorrow, murmuring, hunger, fallen, hit, slave, bondsman, fear, danger, commotion, war, dashed, and poor. That's the eventual result of Babylon. It's self-consuming ending it's It's hell, and so you con- you contrast that with Zion, which is the pinnacle of where Christ is trying to take us. and you have these ideas of light, west, song, red water, feast, fullness, satisfaction, fatness. I love that word. and <laughs> your soul delight itself in fatness Gardens, vineyard, rain, gold, dew, fruit above, heaven mountain, awake, see, hear, wise, rich, redeemed, masters, priests, kings, everlasting, joy, and peace. That's the invitation. And God is creating this masterful, and I, through Isaiah, this beautifully architected contrast between the pit and the pinnacle, between the depth and the destiny, the, the divine destiny that we have to be able to become who we're meant to become. And as he goes through this, the painting this picture, I, it's almost as if Isaiah is lamenting within himself and saying, don't you see, this isn't just you being an object, this isn't just you being acted on, don't you see you have agency, don't you see that you were the one that chooses whether you receive all the Father hath, or you inherit the pit with the devil. And when he, when he talks about the pit, <clears throat> he, he highlights this in great detail in Isaiah 14, and verses 10 through 16. And he talks about that future day will, when Satan will be cast into the pit that he dug for the saints <clears throat> and how people will come to Satan and, and all they shall speak in verse 10 and say unto thee, Satan and the wicked, art thou also become weak as we, art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave <clears throat> and the noise of thy, of thy ideals, the worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, before sun of the morning? Again, referring to Satan, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did, didst weaken the nations? <clears throat> For thou hast said in thine heart, "I will ascend into heaven; I will exalt my throne above the stars of God; and I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north." And this is him flashing back to who, who Lucifer was and what his his goal was in leaving heaven and trying to become the devil, the dragon, the serpent. <clears throat> and then in verse fourteen. Lucifer still referring to his internal narrative. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, referring to God. And then in verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and shake the kingdoms? They'll look at him in judgment. They'll look at him in, in, in condemnation and say, he's stuck. He's, he's now bound up in the in the the depth of hell that he was preparing for others, and I think that's <clears throat> it's just a, it's just one of those points of contrast that Isaiah is trying to highlight for us that there really is a clear decision, there really is a clear inf- inflection point, a hinge point like President Nelson says, you can choose to go down or you can choose to go up. There's no in between, and we all have to make that decision.
1: and we should probably mention how enticing. Babylon seemed to the people at the time if you were to compare at the time say and I know they did not coexist but just as a, a symbolic example if you were to compare Babylon at the time to say uh, Melchizedek Zion in terms of how they looked uh, Babylon kind of took everyone's breath away especially with the hanging gardens that were built in the middle of the desert they were known for their library for their medical science and mathematics and all mm-hmm. that So it looked really enticing to people and and basically has been pointed out is that people fell prey to it's Lucifer's kingdom. And and notice all those eyes that you you read. I am going to do this. I'm going to be better than anybody else. I'm going to be higher than anybody else. And the analogy is made to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, who had taken Babylon to its height. And the point is that Even he is going to narrow his eyes at Lucifer and say, it's you that caused, because it will talk about all the kings of the earth lie in glory and pomp and circumstance. They all have their, their um, graves and their tombs that are grand and glorious, but um, Satan doesn't get a tomb because he has no body, Mm -hmm. but it also makes the analogy for us that they have never discovered Nebuchadnezzar's tomb. So how would you like to be a type of Satan? If, if uh, Melchizedek and Joseph of Egypt are types and shadows of Jesus Christ, how would you like to be Nebuchadnezzar and be a type and a shadow of Lucifer? Again, this dichotomy or the opposite is illustrated by King Benjamin's people. Because King Benjamin said at the end of this experience where we're all going to repent and renew our covenants, I'm going to give you a new name. so it's so they so those who follow satan they're trying to make a name for themselves not realizing that they are following a worm and that they are they're walking in the same paths that these others who have completely disappeared from history have
0: right and now now nimrod is a a, it's a name you call people that are dumb yeah what a nimrod right
1: exactly and so, rather than to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the kingdom of Zion, His kingdom, and His family named Covenant Israel, and the difference that that will that will bring to us in terms of peace, uh, a soul satisfying peace, and salvation.
0: Yes, that's so powerful, and it it, it also comes with the temporariness of. The focus on Babylon, everything vanishes. Nothing lasts in Babylon. Nothing lasts. And I've seen this happen with people that I've worked with. I've worked with millionaires and billionaires. I've had friends that have had vast amounts of wealth. Nothing lasts except for Jesus Christ. It all becomes dust. It all becomes decay. And that's one of the things that the Lord highlights in these chapters as well. And I've had this, this impression for a very long time. Cities, by design, decay, they, they, they self implode. If you walk around, even Salt Lake City, as beautiful as that city is, if if cement separates us from the hearts of those around us and we view other people as objects and we have this bystander effect where we think someone else will take care of the poor person on the corner, then we're living in that place of Babylon where we've been chained, we've been uh, isolated, we, we aren't able to connect our hearts and, and harmonize as Zion. But in communities and in families, the contrast there being this idea that we see each other as we really are. We we connect our hearts, we serve each other. We're not, we, we don't enable each other, which happens in families a lot, <laughs> but it's more about let's help each other learn how to grow and struggle and and gain strength in their relationship with Christ through the struggle. Those types of relationships are eternal. Those type of relationships continue on. And that's the nature of heaven. That That's the end of heaven is these families spread out. And so as you see this, this, um, uh, this tension between these two. Let's talk about the Leviathan for a second, because I think this fits in really well with uh, this idea of Satan being in the pit. If you Google Leviathan, there this has been a tradition that has existed all throughout different religions and cultures. It's not just a Hebrew tradition. Some people refer to Leviathan as a sea serpent or a snake. There's also images of um, in some of the study I found where the Leviathan is this different shaped animal, according to Greeks, that um, looks oddly strange, and you know has different animal body parts and stuff. But <clears throat> Isaiah is looking at this from a unique perspective. He's seeing past, present, and future. He's seeing the preexistence and the present and the future. And if you contrast what he talks about Leviathan with what Job talks about with the Leviathan and what the Psalms talk about with the Leviathan and revelations talk about, then all of a sudden you see this picture of this desperate scenario where there's a woman carrying a child and this child is being chased this child being christ or his church and and this it also has been alluded to as being mary and jesus christ when they tried to destroy him when he was born in in bethlehem but the leviathan is the evil that's coming after christ the leviathan is the evil that's trying to swallow him up but that in revelations it talks about how the leviathan ushers water out and the earth opens its mouth and swallows the waters to protect the child and the woman. And it talks about how Leviathan is trying to destroy the souls of those around him and all these things. So you look at this past and present and future vision, and you have this, like I said, this desperate story of this beast that's trying to destroy the good and the life. And then here in these chapters Isaiah sees the end, and he sees This beautiful vision of the future in Isaiah 27, he says, In that day, speaking of the second coming and when the Lord will conquer, in that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And so, this prophetic evolution of this story is a powerful reminder of how Christ is that lion. He will destroy. He will, he will protect and he will defend with violence against the evils that are trying to destroy the the saints of God.
1: I'm so glad you brought up this story uh, also contained in Revelation chapter 12. One of my favorites. You also want to make sure that you get the Joseph Smith translation to help us with that. As, as it is so symbolic. But I think that the book of Revelation really works beautifully with Isaiah as a, twin witness to help us to see some of those details. In Revelation chapter 12, it says that the woman clothed with the sun with 12 stars, a crown of 12 stars over her head, um, it says that she represents the kingdom of God. She represents the kingdom of God. And it says that at, for a time, and this is really important for us as members of the church, is that for a time it looks like the dragon is winning, the Leviathan is winning. And it says that she sent into the wilderness for a time, times, and time. And it says that there she is nourished and she's prepared until she's strong enough to come forth. And I think that's really important for us because when we read in both Isaiah and the book of Revelation, it tells us that really in the end times, it looks to us that the devil is winning. And that it says in both books, it says that the saints' hearts will fail them, Mm -hmm. the saints will give up, Nephi also had that revelation as well. But in Nephi's revelation, he said that it was important for the members of the church to realize that there was this power of heaven coming down to help them, even though their numbers were few. So we're right now looking at all of these three together, Nephi's vision, uh, Isaiah and revelation. We might feel that there are, quote unquote, more of them, more who are under the dragon or Leviathan than more that are under Jesus Christ. And we might feel like we're in that wilderness period where it looks like, how, how can we ever turn things around? But I it's important agree. for us to read all those scriptures together, where the Lord is testifying. He is providing nourishment to the church and to the kingdom mm-hmm. um, in that wilderness time. And that then when he's ready, it says the church will come forth. And this again is Isaiah, Nephi, and also in the book of Revelation, the church will be called out of the wilderness bright and terrible as an army. There's that army again. Old banners, yeah. An army with banners. And in fact, Joseph Smith at the Kirtland Temple dedication, DNC 109, prayed that mm-hmm. it was time for the church to come forth out of the wilderness and that we would be prepared to meet Christ. So, this is really important for us to not get discouraged, not give up mm-hmm. when other voices seem to be very loud, and for us to understand God is providing us that power as seen in Nephi's vision and the nourishment as seen in revelation so that we can perform our duties.
0: I agree hundred percent. In fact, I'm going to jump forward to Isaiah 30 verse 20, which has been a personal treasure of mine. And I actually have a copy of that um, in my office here. I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen um, here that it's from, uh, I think it's the Bible. It's a copy of uh, this page. From uh, Reed Moon's bookshop in Provo, which is awesome. He's a friend. And it's from the 1100s. So it's a very old version of this verse. But the verse says, uh, so this has been something that's been a promise to so many people for so long. The verse says, and and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And so when you speak of nourishment and this idea of the woman being hid in the wilderness for a time and a time and, a t- and times, that corner, that being, that idea of being hid or or secluded away, and this idea that the Lord is going to take affliction, difficulty, and these these adversities that we experience in the second coming, and He's going to turn it into bread, and He's going to turn it into water, and He's going to feed us, and we're going to see that the teacher who's feeding us, the person who's there to helping holding the sustenance for us, is Jesus Christ Himself. That he's the one with his hand stretched out still, saying, I can turn any difficulty into blessing. I can turn any hardship into strength. I can help you turn any darkness into light. That reversal, where he's able to take these evils and make good, is one of the most powerful, transcendent, and, and central themes of who Jesus Christ is. He changes everything. And so, as we deal with these things as saints, I agree with you 100%, Linda. We need to look forward and wait for the Lord. We need to trust that he's in that darkness with us, that he's there with us and we can find shelter in him. And if we listen, we'll hear his voice and that he's continually calling to us. His hand is stretched out still. And that as we we can purify ourselves, like Joseph Smith says, we'll be able to see what he wants us to see. We'll be able to understand the end from the beginning. And we'll hear that the, the the beautiful call that he's issuing to us is a song. He's singing to us and inviting us to join the song. And the harmony and the joy is resplendent. It's, it's so full of majesty and light and truth. It's almost as if we can't believe it. It's almost as if we don't think that one day we will have rest, that one day we will just break forth into singing because we're so overwhelmed at how relieved we are that we're finally through the storm, but that's what awaits us.
1: And I love it because, as it is always spoken in past tense, as if it is accomplished, the yeah. same way as those who preceded the Savior's ministry were able to partake of the atonement, as if it were accomplished. It's the same. For, it's the same for us today. I mm-hmm. do have to read the two verses Please. before your one on the bread of affliction. Please. Therefore, will the Lord wait? that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee.
0: Does that make you just hope? (laughs) And then, and then in the next verse, in verse 21, after 20, it says, And thy ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and turn to the left. He will guide us. He will instruct us. He will show us where to go. And this this is a theme that Isaiah paints very clearly throughout these verses and, and these chapters. He talks about this idea of personal restoration, where it's not just us taking shelter in Christ, but it's us becoming Christ-like. It's us becoming more like him and and joining him as saviors on Mount Zion. And there's this progressive path where he goes from the idea that people are blind and deaf and dumb and they're hard of heart to people are soft in their hearts. They're willing to receive and they're now hearing and they're now seeing and they're able to have this connection with Christ. And it comes through the testimony of Jesus Christ. It comes through the power of his word. When we read his words, when we read the book. And we receive His truth inside of us. It literally restores us to who we're meant to become. It, it couples the the existent version of us with our gifts and our talents and our blessings with this mortally experienced, chewed up, broken, worn out person that we are right now. <laughs> and He He reconciled these these two these two dichotomies because those are in and the of themselves dichotomies: who we were before and who we are now. There's a deep contrast dark contrast between our fallen existence and our premortal glory and the upside of what our our foreordained divine eternal destiny is as as children of of God and potential gods ourselves. And so this cycle where Christ reconciles, where he instructs, where he leads, he helps us become who we're meant to become, helps us regain our ability to hear and see and feel. That is something that I think many of us want. I mean, I, I think many of us become numb It's very natural to numb out the pains that we experience and the difficulties and just truck through life. But he's saying, I will give you a fullness of everything. I'll help you appreciate the fullness of the bitterness and the fullness of the sweetness so that you can really know what it means to be God. And that's, I just, I love this, this wholeness, this reconciling and bringing things back into an atonement or, you know, through his atonement. I think that's such a powerful truth.
1: I love that, Sam, and right in the middle of all that that you're talking about, you say restoration, fullness, and his word, and you mentioned a book, is we have Isaiah 29, that the tool by which he prepares us, the, Mm -hmm. the tool by which he gathers us, according to President Nelson, is the restoration of the Book of Mormon, as prophesied in Isaiah 29 about the book that would come forth where people who had not been able to hear would be able to hear the words of the book. People who had not been able to see will see the truth and that this book will come forth out of the dust, so to speak. I love the fact, I know it's not a coincidence, God really is in the details, that we have Isaiah 29 that prophesies about this book that comes forth to the unlearned man and that will restore mm-hmm. doctrine and give doctrine. Well, it's Second Nephi chapter 29, Um, That talks about the need for the Book of Mormon to be combined with the the book written by the tribe of Judah, the Bible, and how those two together would restore the knowledge of the covenants. And the title page of the Book of Mormon is also so that we might remember the covenants that have been made to the fathers. Well, this is what we really need for our sense of peace when we're going through these times that are preceding the second coming, when everything Mm -hmm. is in commotion is that we need to remember that the Lord's told us from the beginning he's made covenants with us and if we'll stay true to our covenants and keep Christ as our teacher who's giving us the nourishment that is his bread of life and water of life that then we don't have anything to fear and in fact we have a work to do and and the book of Mormon uh, and covenants help us to help us to be aware of the work that we have to do in these last days to to help others to be prepared, help our families be prepared, but also help the entire world to be prepared for the coming of Christ. So it's a great day.
0: Yes, it is a great day. And it's up to us to prepare the way. It's up to us to make his path straight. Like John the Baptist was saying before Christ came, prepare you the way of the Lord. He was referring to idea, you know, this idea of get ready. He's coming. And either you join him or or you don't. I was was speaking, I just got called into a bishopric. singles or bishopric which has been delightful and um it's been about a month and yesterday was like the first day i really felt like we were actually like running and i met with this uh young man who we had a wonderful talk for about 45 minutes and and i he was in this this place of indecision he didn't know what he wanted to do he didn't know which way he wanted to go and we talked about how we're all in a river and either we're learning how to swim upstream to get to the source of that river or we're going to get carried down by the river you can't stand still <laughs> you can't just look through life there needs to be a conscious decision of where we want to go and what we want to do and that that decision here that Isaiah is painting is you want to go to zion you want to go to that place of fullness and instruction and light and truth and i think satan like it talks about nephi he talked about this as well he says you know satan will lead people into carnal security and and make them blind and, and, and deaf and not help them appreciate the the peril of their situation, the decision they have to make. But <clears throat> Isaiah does a great job of highlighting this decision point that we need to get back on track. We need to be where we really want to be. And there are consequences as, as harsh and painful as they are, right? There's, <clears throat> there's a really beautiful set of scriptures as well about this idea of the second coming and some of these signs. There's, there's a contrast between what happens with the light of the sun and the moon and how when Christ comes again, it will be darkened and the sun and the moon will be ashamed. And there's, a, there's some beautiful quotes from some of the prophets about how they'll be ashamed because the brightness of Christ's glory far exceeds it. But then when Christ does come and restores the earth and makes it smooth, like Joseph Smith said, where he'll get rid of all the mountains and he'll get rid of all the valleys and make it this beautiful, spherical, glorious place. But um, if you look in verse uh, section 30, uh, verse 26, moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. <clears throat> and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold. And we've talked, you and I have talked about how seven is the magic number of Zion, right? It's the number of perfection, heaven and earth being united, four and three. And as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the reach of his people and healeth the stroke. A of... killing comes with the power of Christ his truth, and his love. It doesn't just come from compassion. It comes from correctness. It comes from righteousness. It comes from being in harmony and being on a true path that we're meant to be on instead of being in our own crooked paths, which lead us away from where the Lord wants to take us. I'm sure you have thoughts about this, Linda. What, What have you noticed about how Christ is the symbol of light in these chapters or why that's such a significant symbol for him?
1: Well, I immediately think of D&C 88, one of my very favorites mm. about, he is literally the, he's the light source for everything. Everything. He's the light source of the sun. And when you were talking about healing, I was just thinking even about how lasers are so effective today in, in healing and that coming into his presence. I mean, in every way, he, he earns that title of being the, the healer, the gentle healer he's often called. Mm. And that um, I was also thinking though, you know, we have to have, if we're going to have surgery and he's performing the surgery, uh, there is the painful part of surgery, right? Yeah. The, that, that light part or the burning part is usually the end after the surgery is performed. And so yeah. he, he does want to cut away any of the darkness from us as well mm-hmm. um, as provide the light. We have to be willing to receive it. So in Doctrine and Covenants 93, it talks about if our eye is single to his light, then we are filled with light ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And we become lighter and lighter ourselves until the perfect day. This has so much to do with the resurrection is that the resurrection is going to be such a natural thing, far more than most people anticipate. It's about how much light we've taken in during our mortal life so that we can, it's what, how, how much light can we bear? Are we only going to be able to bear a terrestrial, a terrestrial or a celestial environment mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be in the presence of our father and of his son, Jesus Christ. It's something we need to be preparing for now, yes. so that we can stand in His
0: light. Yes, yes. In fact, and the way we bear it is, we're willing to abide by the laws of that mm-hmm. kingdom, and that's where, in its simplest form, the love in my in my studying opinion um, doctrine according to Sam, <laughs> in its simplest form, the law of the celestial kingdom where we are now, you know, this fallen world, is the love of self. Yeah. But it, it, it's upside down. It's not where we're meant to be. It's fallen. And the law of the terrestrial kingdom is loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the law of the celestial kingdom is loving God, being willing to submit to everything and receive everything he wants to give us. One of the ways we do that, and, and, and one of the ways if we, we fail to do it, we distance ourselves from God, is when our lips and our hearts are in disharmony. When, they, when we don't speak with our lips and with our hearts. And instead, we just draw near with our lips, but our hearts are far removed from the Lord, which is in, Dr. it's in Isaiah 29, uh, verse 13. And it's also something that the Lord, it was one of the very first things the Lord Jesus Christ told Joseph Smith when he appeared to him and talked about why he needed to restore the church. Wherefore, it is verse 13, Isaiah 29, wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. And so there's a lot in this verse. I just want to unpack a couple of ideas and then I want to hear what you think about this too, Linda, this idea of the fear being taught by the precept of men is something that I think is indoctrinated in us. It's indoctrinated in us in all of the media and the different things that we watch people who sit and watch the news and are afraid because of all of the commotion on the news. It's totally natural. And I don't care what you're watching. I don't care if it's Fox or NBC or or if it's CNN or whatever it is. There's this agitation, this, this apprehension and fear of what's happening to the world. And it doesn't matter what end of the political spectrum you're on. There's this fear taught by the precepts of men. And what God is trying to say is, if you want to understand the true purpose of those of that emotion of fear, you need to come to me and understand the Awful state of the wicked that he's trying to teach to us about who we are and what our potential is, and how we damn ourselves if we're not willing to receive it. And so, if we're willing to recognize in humility that we need him, that we are all drowning, and he's trying to save us by throwing us a life preserver with love and truth, and he'll reel us back in, then all of a sudden we can start being in a place of harmony with our lips and our hearts. We can draw our hearts closer to him because as he pulls us in back to the truth, the doctrine. We start to heal. We start to recognize that the distance between us is what was causing our pain. The gap between us and the Lord is what was causing our heartache. And as we come closer to Him, our hearts heal and soften. And then we don't have this temptation or this urge to lie to ourselves or to other people by saying one thing with our lips when our hearts are saying the opposite, when our hearts are saying, Hey, you're not happy. You're not living the life that you wanted to live. You're not living in a place of harmony with who you really are meant to become. And so come back to Christ and re- regain that harmony, regain that peace, regain that healing, and let him align our spirits and our bodies back into this place of beautiful synergy. And then when we speak, and I'm sure you've met people like this, and I think you're like this many times, and I've seen other people who are like this, when they speak with their lips and their heart, it moves people. It changes who they are, and it helps them wake up, and they recognize That they're hearing truth and feeling love in such a cogent, powerful way that it changes who they are and helps them wake up. That restoration, that being a savior on Mount Zion after we've been restored to who we're meant to become and we're able to align our, our lips and our hearts. That's the power that comes when we receive his word, when we understand our true relationship with God. And it's the most glorious thing we can do as children of God. Because it helped, we join him in his salvation act. We join him in the, the art of eternity. And so I want to know what you think about this. What do you, what do you think about this idea of speaking with your lips and your hearts? That's only
1: possible when our heart really is pure. And really the key is, where, what's the treasure of our heart? What is our heart set upon? Mm. Because that's really going to reveal itself every time. If our heart is set upon worldly goods and worldly acknowledgement from others, and rising up the ladder it be, it's pretty obvious it's not something that's really very well hidden, but if our heart is honestly set upon God first, then, as elder Maxwell taught us, when we put that first law first, it's only natural that then we feel love for other people, and everything falls into its natural order of things. I liked the way that you described the different kingdoms i I have to say that even though it's a Samism, I have to agree with you because when we put that first. God love, He fills our heart with all the appropriate loves and desires for others and um and including our family and even where we should stand. So yeah, thank you. I love I that. I
0: agree. Scene. No, thank you. I, I, I agree. And I, I feel like that's that's everybody who's listening to this. I know we only um have been doing this for a little while. And hopefully there's some people that were helping edify with this, but as, we, as the world descends into greater darkness and commotion and war, there will be places of refuge, there will be places of peace, and we have an opportunity to build Zion and build these, these refuge, sanctuary-based homes, right? We, we can build places in the commotion that are calling to those around us, and, and we do that by inviting people into our home, we do that by inviting people into our wards and to our, our churches and we also do that by just loving people around us at work and in our different environments. Everything we're doing should be focused on building that Zion. The gardens we build, the jobs we have, I know you do interior design. I know you're also taking a holy trip, or a holy land trip <laughs> soon and you're going to take people there. It's a holy you know? it's
1: a holy trip to the holy land and I'd love to have <laughs> any any of our listeners who would love to join me, please go to Linda Cherry Books and Tours and that's Linda with a Y, Linda Cherry Books and Tours, because I'd love to have some of our listeners go with us. Oh,
0: absolutely. I wish I could go with you. The whole purpose of all these activities that we're engaged in, it's easy to think it's about gathering as much and hoarding and having enough for retirement or for our kids or for a legacy or a heritage or whatever. The reality is, though, that uh, Jacob's really clear in the Book of Mormon in 2 Nephi, he says, the only goal is to build Zion. If you're building Zion, wealth will come to help you build Zion. But if you're gathering wealth for the sake of gathering wealth, you might as well be gathering dust. You might as well be just hoarding stuff that doesn't really mean anything. Because the only only reason we do these things, we engage in these activities is to point people to Jesus Christ, is to help them wake up to who they are and build Zion and and unite our hearts together.
1: Can I add one more thing, um, Sam, is because I believe that there's also another form of a counterfeit Zion that is not Babylon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is a counterfeit Zion where we are reaching out and gathering, but not on true principles,
0: Mm -hmm. where
1: it's sort of, we're all together in our victimhood, we're all together in our Uh, woundedness, without, we're going to support each other and try to build each other up, but we're not using the atonement, Mm -hmm. not using Christ as the healer, and we try to heal each other, and there's good intentions, but it's also going to end and fall, what are your thoughts about that?
0: I think you're right, I think that's, that's the great deception, right? That's that's why Satan is the great deceiver, the original liar, because he tries to get us to abdicate our agency. And and if if we cling to our woundedness and say that defines us, we're denying the atonement. And so, you know, uh, let me end on this note because that, that dovetails perfectly with this. There, I, and I'll put this up in a, as an attachment or something, or show a screen of this. But there is such a strong contrast. Uh, between victimhood, being a slave, being an object, being you know downtrodden, and this idea of being divine, being eternal, having being a, a master of our own fate, becoming godlike, and I have a whole list of these types of contrasts that I'll show on, on the screen here, and also anything to your point, anything other than Christ, wealth, popularity, prosperity, possessions, you know, positions, all of these things will not save us. In fact that Satan will be in a pit with a lot of other kings and queens that thought that that's what would save them. <laughs> but the only thing that saves us, the only focus we should have in our lives is on Jesus Christ. We, Like you said earlier, we should keep our eyes single to his glory. And his glory is bringing about the eternal life, bringing about the immortality of those around us. His glory is perfecting his children and helping them become like him. And as we are focused on Jesus Christ and we listen to his instructions, his direction of turn left here, turn right here. As we listen to him, to his healing song, when we deal with affliction or adversity, when we see these dark times coming, we'll start to be able to recognize him inside of us and recognize him in other people. And we'll see that he is everywhere. He is bringing about a marvelous work and a wonder, like he says in these these chapters. He's pouring out his spirit on the earth and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> There's going to be so many amazing miracles in our lives if we're willing to see them, and we'll miss so much if we're focused on our wounds. We'll miss so much if we're focused on our wealth or on our possessions. All of, I agree with you 100%. All of those are distractions, and so that's my invitation to everyone listening is that let's keep our eyes single to our friend, to our master, our, our, our Lord and our king. Let's Let's focus on Jesus Christ because that's who we want to become like. I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you want to add anything at the end here? No. Okay. It's been a, such a delightful conversation. You're the best, and I know that we get to do this. I think a couple more times throughout the uh, end of the year, and we'll look forward to um, doing this again soon with everyone. Please leave comments in the bubble. Bubbles. below we do check our comments. We're happy to reply. If anybody wants to get in touch with us and have us talk more at length, or I know Linda and I also are open to doing firesides or other activities with people and we're more than happy to do that. And we hope everyone has a great day. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best.